For SearchSecurity.com, I'm Rob Westervelt. And I'm Bill Brenner. You're listening to a special edition of Security Wire Weekly, reporting from the Black Hat 2007 briefings in Las Vegas. In this edition, Brian Chess and Jacob West of Fortify Security talk about the state of penetration testing, secure software development, and their latest book. Also, a researcher warns that attackers could make trouble for Vista users by exploiting Torito, an IPv6 tunneling tool enabled by default in the latest Windows operating system. We'll also look at Estonia's successful response to a so-called cyber riot. We begin with a warning from semantic researcher James Hoagland that Microsoft's use of the Torito IP tunneling system in Windows Vista may be putting users at risk. Torito is enabled by default in Microsoft's newest operating system, and Hoagland told Black Hat attendees that attackers may be able to exploit it for phishing, farming, and other mischief. Hoagland's advice to Vista users? Turn Torito off. Disable Torito and lock down your network. Uh, upgrade your, secu- your security controls and postures to support native IPv6, and only then obtain an IPv6 connection, a native one, uh, in the internet. Next up, Brian Chess and Jacob West of Fortify Security talk with me about their latest book. The book is called Secure Programming with Static Analysis. They also talk about the state of penetration testing and secure software development. So Brian, why don't we start with what you perceive as some of the major web application threats facing software developers, um, especially Ajax threats. Test one, two, three. Ajax technology, basically combining JavaScript and a web browser and some maybe some XML is really not new. People have been doing it well for probably about 10 years now. What's new is it's gotten popular. And it does change things, but it doesn't necessarily change things in the way people, uh, people think about it. The, the major threats that they had last year, like uh, cross-site scripting, still exist today. So what has changed? Well, first of all, the bad guys have started buying JavaScript books too. So uh, things that, that people used to be uh, manipulating in order to mash up two websites, bad guys have now figured out that they can use to steal data out of your web application, whether it's a, you know Ajax application or not. They can use Ajax techniques in order to steal data out of it. Why is it so difficult then to secure Ajax? So a lot of the techniques that people have been using to test traditional web applications don't just don't work so well when it comes to Ajax applications. So we're it, it no longer looks like a really simple client-server model and now starts to look a little bit more like a thick client uh, model. And so now we're back having to solve the software testing problem that people have been trying to solve for literally decades. And that's not easy, and it's certainly not easy to automate. So... In one sense, what Ajax applications have done is made it harder for the good guys to verify that they've got secure code. Jacob, what are some techniques then that can be used to guard against some of these Ajax threats? 
Well, so a lot of the problems really end up manifesting themselves the same way the vulnerabilities always have in the web applications. This is just another source of input, another way of interacting, and encourages more uh, dynamic behavior, as Brian was saying, more like a thick client would in the past. What should programmers be doing that they're not doing right now? Well, so I think a big onus is on uh, people like us, tool manufacturers, to give them better uh, mechanisms for finding the problems. So traditional pen testing, for example, has a real problem uh, interacting with uh, AJAX applications in some cases because the client is so much more dynamic. So you're doing more data processing on the client. The sort of traditional uh, record and replay techniques don't work as well because you're exp uh, the, the traffic moving back and forth between the client and the server looks quite different from one moment to the next because you're doing more processing on the client. Mm -hmm. Brian, what's lacking in traditional pen testing that, that causes it to miss so many vulnerabilities? Traditionally speaking, penetration testing has, uh, has, has been a little bit like shooting fish in a barrel, right? So there are so many things wrong with the code that if all you want to do is try and prove that there's a problem, that's, that, that, that's pretty easy. The sort of dangerous trend that we see these days is people maybe trying to rely on that penetration test to sort of bake security into the software after the fact. And that just simply isn't going to work any more than trying to bake quality into the code after the fact. Uh, it doesn't work. So, uh, I mean, what, what, what we're really all about at Fortify is trying to help people integrate security into their software development process. Uh, wh whether that's as part of uh, writing the code or whether it's part of their, their typical testing activities that they conduct before they call that product finished. Jacob, can you get better results out of maybe doing testing manually? Particularly with respect to AJAX, you mean? Yeah, so some of the same limitations that the automated tools face with, with AJAX, a manual test wouldn't necessarily because you're interacting with the, the application as it's intended to be interacted with, so through the interface as opposed to trying to kind of bypass that and do a replay of traffic that you've seen. At the same time, it can add complexities for, for manual testing too, mostly because of the nature of the applications more so than the specific technical impact. So they tend to have richer client-side interfaces, uh, more dynamic content, so there may be, it may be more difficult to exercise the entire uh, interface of the application manually just because there's more to be seen on the client side. Do you mind if I throw in one more AJAX comment? Oh, sure, that's while, great. While Go ahead. Okay. So there's a fundamental issue that software designers face when they start to put more smarts on the client. And that is they have to make decisions about now what goes on the server and what goes on the client. Traditional web application, you don't have to make that decision. All the smarts go on the server. It's really very straightforward. If we're going to split the smarts between the client and the server, now we've got to start figuring out, well, where are we going to make a security decision? The problem is if you push all of the security decisions or any of the security decisions down onto the client, attackers can now bypass those. So it's yet another place where you see... Uh, people who make decisions, maybe they think they're making a performance decision, and they end up making a security mistake. So uh, the, the, well, the move to Ajax is at least partially about who you're going to trust. Are, are, you, are you realizing that you're placing trust in that client? Well, let's talk a little bit about the, um, the book Secure Programming with Static Analysis. Brian, why don't you address what static analysis is and who would actually be using that technique? Sure. So static analysis basically refers to any technique for evaluating a piece of code except for running it. So we're going to look at the text of the program and try and wring bugs out of the code just by looking at uh, what the programmer looks at when they're writing the code. And 
while that might sound like you're, we're making the problem harder than just running the code, there are actually a number of advantages to, to approaching it that way. When you test a piece of software by running it, you've got to put the software into the state that you want to test. And that turns out to be time-consuming if you've got millions or billions of combinations you'd like to look at. When we do static analysis, we can actually consider many, many more possible outcomes from the software than if we had to put the code into that state. That means we can think about a lot more eventualities and possibilities very quickly, which means static analysis can, can give you a much more consistent view of what might happen in a piece of code than, say, a traditional penetration test. Jake, what was the impetus for the book? Well, so Brian and I basically spend uh, spend our day jobs doing this as well. So Fortify's first product was a static analysis tool. So we spend a lot of time working uh, to build that tool as well as working with, with customers to deploy it effectively. So the book really uh, focuses on the same kinds of problems that we're trying to solve, uh, as, as I said, in our, in our day jobs, which is how can uh, developers, security professionals, use static analysis to help build more secure software? So the first few chapters talk a lot about uh, sort of posing the software security problem, talking about uh, some, some critical factors of static analysis tools and how you might deploy those in an enterprise environment. And then the subsequent chapters talk about uh, kinds of things you should expect to find with static analysis and how you can use it concretely and effectively to find those sorts of problems. Brian, is it a real challenge to get programmers to use these tools? And then, and is it also a challenge for enterprises to actually deploy it? So for the most part, uh, programmers are interested in uh, making sure that they're doing what the organization has asked of them. So if the organization hasn't asked them to build secure code, then it would be suboptimal if they did. Right? So, so as soon as they get a hint that security is important, then they think, oh, hey, that's some cool stuff, really interesting uh, techniques that they, know, that they love to learn about and find out about once the organization says it's okay. So the biggest barrier to uh, programmers writing secure code is not actually lack of knowledge on the programmer's part or lack of interest on the programmer's part. It's does the organization think security is important? And that landscape is changing very, very quickly. Uh, we sort of we see a kind of a natural progression uh, from uh, financial services companies who can very very uh, easily tie money to code uh, out into telecommunication companies and in, into oh, government military applications too. People are really figuring out that that it's their code that is the gateway to storing their information, and their information is what's of value in their business. Jacob, are there a lot of static analysis tools on the market? So static analysis has been around for quite a while uh, for various purposes, traditionally finding quality bugs. And so in the last uh, five to seven years, we've seen people talking more and more about using it for security. In the last four or five years, we've seen a handful of companies crop up around it. There are also some open source tools from from the early days there that that try to address the same problem. Um, Today, you see much more advanced techniques in the, on the commercial side just because of the, the, the time taken to, to put those into, to implement those. So it's been around all this time, but really well, it's, the it's question what, is who's using it? So today, quite a few people. There's a big trend in, in large organizations, particularly, that are putting more energy into. So they, they've, they've made that connection. The light bulb has kind of come on that Brian pointed out, which is you know, software security is important, and we do need to start to address it. It's being seen as a very effective tool in those circles. The trick is for more of the industry to come around to, to seeing that light. The, the challenge, I guess, is around cost and uh, is around um, getting software out the door 
as quickly as possible. No, Brian? So it's my, my favorite analogy for any sort of security tool, or, or well, I guess I should say my favorite standard bearer for tools is a chainsaw. I love, I love the chainsaw as a tool because people really try and make sure they get things right when they use a chainsaw because they can kind of, in their mind's eye, envision the consequences of using the chainsaw wrong and losing a limb or, or, or something like that. And the effects of getting security wrong often aren't quite so immediate. Right? You don't sort of slip up and uh, lose a digit. Instead, a couple of years down the road, somebody figures out how you made your mistake, and then they end up uh, emptying the coffers. So a lot of what we try and do, well, or organizations that are adopting more advanced security tools like static analysis tools are the ones who've made that connection with uh, you know, what's really at risk and how much does it cost to make a little code change now versus let it go for years and forget about it and then have someone exploit it. You know, if I might, sorry, if I, if I might back up and just give an example of, a, of an organization who I think where the light bulb has really gone on, it's, uh, it, it's one that, uh, at least historically speaking, people haven't given a lot of credit for good security, and that's Microsoft. So Microsoft has really come around in terms of making sure that all of the new code that they write has gone through a rigorous security process, and that includes the application of static analysis tools, um, sometimes before that code has even been compiled or run for the first time. As you mentioned Microsoft, let's talk a very briefly about Google. Google has a presence here with a booth. Um, they've been trying to make a, a presence in the security market with some recent acquisitions. What's your take on Google's security strategy? So Google has the same problem that everybody that has a huge presence on the web has, and that is they just can't seem to stomp cross-site scripting out of existence. I think that Google has done a great job at responding to issues when, when they come up. They generally have a pretty, pretty proactive take on security, but they kind of have, have shown that even if you've got all the resources Google has, it's hard to get it right. Where do you see them? Do you see them making an even larger presence in the security market? And do you think that they're going to build more secure software moving forward? Well, you know, they're building software at a mile a minute. They're, they've got some really smart people doing it. But historically speaking, building software at a mile a minute has not meant great things for security. So I expect we'll continue to see Google security headlines uh, uh, for, for the next few years at the very least. So, you know, they've got a lot of focus on them, which means that they've got a lot of bad guys going at them too. Uh, but I don't see any reason why they're going to walk on water where everyone else has failed to. Um, one of the, uh, the things that Fortify has been doing is their, their hacking challenge at, at your booth. Can you talk a little bit about that? What, what is this uh, hacking challenge that you guys do? Oh, basically, we're just uh, opening up a website and le letting people go at it and see what kinds of defects they can find in the website. Now, we, we know about some of them, but, of course, when you come to a show like Black Hat, you kind of have to expect that people are going to tell you about a few that maybe you didn't see the first time around. But really, we're, we're trying to draw, drive uh, software security to, to the forefront. You know, Black Hat covers a lot of ground from, uh, from the network to the iPhone to the applications, and we're trying to put the emphasis uh, where we think it belongs, which is on the software.
You mentioned the iPhone and Apple released a, uh, a patch for the iPhone the other day. What's your take on Apple's iPhone security? And so, so I'm a Mac user. I love my, love my Mac. Uh, I'd love to see Apple making all the right calls when it when it comes to security. But the day that uh, Jobs got up and he announced that it was too risky to allow people to put code on the iPhone, and instead their entire extensibility model was going to be web applications, I just cringed. Because it's really, really hard to write a secure web application. And if Apple follows through on what they've promised to do, which is basically open up that phone so a web application can interact just like a native application, then they're going to be giving away the contents of a lot of iPhones. And I, I, I think the, the session that's going to be here at Black Hat, where they're going to you know, explain one way where you can you know, exploit a buff, buffer overflow in uh, the browser, is really just the tip of the iceberg in terms of what we're going to see if Apple sticks with the extensibility model that they've announced. And you had a problem with their, with their email client? The folks who've been making email clients that run on the desktop have ha gone many rounds with the Fishers. So... The people who make the email clients that go on little devices, generally speaking, haven't gone for a rich user experience. And that rich user experience is a lot of times what's made the Fisher's life easy on the desktop. So along comes Apple and says, we're going to give you the same browsing experience you have on your desktop on your little handheld device. And I think they've, they've uh, left a little bit of a window for the fishers to come in there, for people who actually are taking Apple up on that promise of using the device to do what they would normally do on the web. So uh, um, we need to be cautious about whether or not old attack scenarios, like, for instance, telling somebody that they're about to get a link to Bank of America, but instead of giving them a link to... Uh, um, some site in Romania where they're going to steal your login and password information might actually be easier because of some of the way those iPhone applications are structured. I think this is r relatively uh, uh, lightweight stuff, though. These are the kind of kinks that Apple is going to work out in the, in, the, you know, in the first major rev, if not before. The scarier stuff is really about the extendability uh, of the device and how are people going to be able to uh, write security mistakes of their own and then pass them off on the iPhone. Next, a look at how Estonia successfully beat back a cyber riot earlier this year. Security researcher Gaddy Evron of Beyond Security helped investigate massive cyber attacks that sent the web-dependent nation of Estonia reeling last April. While plenty of questions remain as to what happened and why, he's confident the culprit was not the Russian government as many assumed from the outset. Instead, Evron told Black Hat attendees this was a mob riot in the streets of cyberspace, sparked by anger over the Estonian government's decision to move a revered World War II memorial from the Soviet era. He said the good news is that Estonia's CERT and IT professionals from the private sector were well-coordinated and the Baltic nation quickly bounced back following the incident. The bad news is that cyber riots like this will probably happen more in the future, engineered by people in command of botnets and inspired by what happened in Estonia. Their goal was maintain the regular service and the stability of the country's internet, the country's infrastructure. Very simple goal. I mean, people believe defense is more powerful because the more time the time goes into the attack, 
the more the, attack, the attacker needs to maintain logistical lines of support, the more the defense has time to organize their powers and the strength and everything. So that's something to consider. That ends this edition of Security Wire Weekly. You can check out our Black Hat news coverage at searchsecurity.com slash black hat. As always, you can get the latest news and information at searchsecurity.com slash news. For Bill Brenner, I'm Rob Westervelt. Have a great day.